Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host Ryan Kramer and this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. If you're new to the podcast, welcome and thanks for tuning in for the first time. If you're not familiar with the format, this is a live interactive podcast where if you're tuning in from LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, thanks for tuning in to my corner of the internet. Uh, because it's interactive, you can ask myself or our guests all sorts of questions you might have about our topics that we have on an episode-to-episode basis. But this podcast will cover anything from sourcing to logistics, advertising, marketing, uh, copywriting, anything from direct-to-consumership, Amazon, different marketplaces, growing globally. That is what this podcast is all about, helping you, the brand owner or the consumer, or if you're in the business, just starting out, um, building your brand, welcome. And we're going to have some great uh, information and tips and uh, information for you to apply to your business today. That's what this is all about. So thanks for tuning in live, or if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast destination, thanks for tuning and listening in as well. So uh, that being said, every podcast episode here on Crossover Commerce has been and is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong Payments is helping people save more and keep more of their hard-earned money by optimizing their time, money and effort with international payments, whether that's sending uh, foreign currency to your VA, your supplier, your manufacturer, or if you're receiving funds from a different marketplace than you operate in, make sure that ping pong payments is saving you. Don't pay extra foreign exchange fees or currency exchange fees um, extra than you might have to put that money back to your bottom line or put it to your advertising, help your business grow instead of leaving it on the table. You can go to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast for more information as well as our past episodes. Again, this is episode 227 to sign up and you can watch all of our past episodes that are live on the audio format, all of our transcripts, all of our key takeaways, you name it, it's going to be available there. But because this is episode 227, for context, we have, and our guest asked me this as well, how many episodes do you do a week? Well, that really does depend. It can be anywhere from one to uh, six have had as many as six in one week. This week's a little bit different leading up to um, an event that we're going to be live at next week. It's actually just a quick little blurb about it. Prosper Show, which is happening March 14th through 16th in Las Vegas at Mandalay Bay. We will be there live in person. I say we, I am included in that. I will be there in person as a part of the group that will be attending there. We'll be doing podcasts live as well as past guests and future people that will be discussing topics in the Amazon e-commerce space. We hope to see you there. If not, um, they, you can obviously tune into our uh, social media channels and listen to free for the, all the insights of speakers and guests that will be attending. That being said, want to go ahead and get into our guest today. This is our guest that we're going to be having on Crossover Commerce this week. Really excited about If you're listening to this, this is Monday, March 7th. It's been a crazy already beginning half of, or beginning part of the month, but we're going into, or I should say beginning part of the year, going into your business. A lot of people are asking questions. What are the things that are different in 2021 and 2022 to look out for? And I think a lot of people have a lot of the same questions. You have sourcing logistics problems. You have a couple of barriers to overcome, and one of those barriers is typically financially in the terms of advertising. In advertising, it could be profitable, but it also can be strategic in terms of how to get your business out there, how to make it grow, and how to get in front of the right audience. That's why ads are so important is utilizing data subsets. How do you get in front of that audience to make them uh, your product or service relevant to the people that are searching for you? It all kind of works together. So utilizing those two, uh, those context, 
we have a very special guest today. We've named the episode of today the top three mistakes you should avoid making in PPC, and we're gonna we're gonna go on those, but also into more uh, as much as we can get from him because, believe it or not, it is fantastic to have our guest today. He was one of the first 500 employees at Google. Um, his name is Frederick Valles. He uh, he is a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. He was obviously working at Google for many years, but then obviously helped grow the AdWords uh, platform, was one of the first evangelists there, and now he's the co-founder and CEO of Optimizer, helping businesses and brands do great things in PPC. So without further ado, I want to go ahead and bring him on the podcast. Frederick, thank you for tuning in, and I should say tuning, joining us here in Crossover Commerce today. Hey, Ryan, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I appreciate Yeah, I appreciate the time. So this is beginning early from you. Well, I said Silicon Valley. That, that was my obviously context clue of where you're joining us from. You're tuning it or you're joining us from California, correct? I am. Uh, I'm in Los Altos, California, which is about 10 minutes down the road from uh, the spectacular new headquarters of Google. <laughs> that uh, really unusual tent looking structure. And, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, look up uh, photos of the new Google headquarters. It's pretty amazing what they built and they just opened it. So uh, kind of a cool place. I was going to say, well, there's lots of headquarters that were being built, pandemic hit, a lot of people had to work from home. Now people, I feel like, are shifting back into the office uh, office life. Are you are you 100% at home now, or what's that for you and the Optimizer team? Yeah, so for me, it's unusual because I've actually always worked from home since we founded Optimizer. I'm the one in Silicon Valley, um, kind of like close to where the action is. Sure. Uh, we have two teams. One is in Santiago, Chile. We have an office there, and we have an office in Hyderabad, India. Uh, both of those offices have been closed and we've really left it up to the employees to make smart decisions that work for them. And so um, if they wanted to go into the office, the office is available to them. Um, and we're actually doing an offsite in both of these countries. So the first time in two years. Um, and it's crazy because like half the team that is joined by this point, they've never met their coworkers, um, and they've done an amazing job just, you know, running the company, running support, building great products. Um, but it's really exciting. So they're going to be in Goa and Valparaiso, two beach towns on the West Coast. So uh, we'll all be looking at the same sunset one day and we're like <laughs> a Thai team again. But that's why I was joking. Uh, our managing director is actually going to be at this event that I was talking about at the top of the episode. This will be the first time I've met employees from my uh, company in two years that I've been here uh, with ping pong. So it's a, it's a strange, I feel like it's a new chapter. Like you said, uh, you're an author. So I'll, I'll reference the the author uh, and the books that you've written before, but it's a new chapter in the wave of hiring, but also operations and in, in, in the new digital age. What has that transition been like for you? It seems like it's pretty seamless for a man of your caliber in your company. Well, I mean, you talk to come, so I'm in Silicon Valley, right? So I talk sure. to a lot of people here and what's happening is relatively crazy because if you know anything to do with machine learning or artificial intelligence, like you can command insane salaries and people are literally saying, hey, I, I work at Facebook, but if Google wants to hire me for their machine learning projects, great, like pay me more money. And then before they even show up to Google, they've pivoted that new salary offer to a third company where they get even more money. Um, and so and we're seeing a little bit of that same insanity where people get an offer from us and they're happy. They, they seem like they want to come in. They seem they want to work for us. And then um, sometimes the day that they're supposed to show up, it's like, hey, no, thank you. Like, I'm going to do something else. 
Um, so it has been it has been challenging, um, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why you know having a strong brand is so important. And obviously, Optimizer, you know, we're still building that brand, right? But uh, but if you have a Google or a Facebook, like then people put that as part of the compensation package. Hey, I work for this huge prestigious company, um, and so I think that's why it's important for me to be on shows like this one, get the name out there, get people to understand what we stand for what we want to achieve um, and hopefully build some of that goodwill that then leads to people also willing to work for us. Absolutely. You were talking about hiring talent, especially in the, in the tech and digital world. A lot of my friends in the service industry are saying, Hey, it's a, it's a hiring bubble. It's something where a lot of you can demand new salaries. You can demand talent is super hard to find, but you have all of these openings for growth and no matter if it's Amazon related or e-commerce related, anything that e-commerce is in the back end of, uh, basically if it says e-commerce or uh, ad specialist in e-commerce or ad specialist in Amazon, it instantly raises your threshold of people like yourself or businesses that are looking to hire talent. So um, obviously you have to find non-traditional ways of getting the name out there like this in the podcast, which is really cool on your end. So what's that like uh, going from a, com- I'm, I'm just curious as a, as a, a person in the space and a geek, if you will, we, we geeked out on some stuff like, Superhero stuff like he, the shield in the background. We both like superhero stuff. What about um, as you're as you're kind of growing in this space? What's it been like going from a, a mega corporation like a Google and being one of the first employees and being there for you said ten plus years? I think is what what is yeah true? exactly. So it was just shy of ten years when I handed in my resignation at Google. Um, and but that's kind of an interesting story too, right? So I joined it when it was fewer than five hundred people. So my, my um, employee number was 833. And at the time, about half of those badges were for temps and vendors. So as a full-timer, I was about uh, first 500. roughly. Divided by and that two. might seem like a lot, but that's actually pretty early on in the stages of Google, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's, God, I mean, over 60,000, right? even more full-time employees. And by this point, the, the badge numbers are in the hundreds of thousands you're gonna have to have letters or something like that in there now <laughs> exactly no one, one time i called in to sell a bit of my pre-ipo stock and uh and so the person on the phone is like oh give me your employee number and i'm like eight three three and then the person says yes go on and i'm like no that's it um and, and i'm always thinking about these people like marissa mayer who was employee number 12 or something i mean how cool is that to be single digits or double digits um but yeah, it was really early on. And, and so I was brought in to be the, the first person or the, the first person for the Dutch speaking market, which was the Benelux. So I'm originally from Belgium. So I speak Dutch. That's my uh, native language. And Google was translating AdWords at the time into its sixth language. And they needed someone local in Silicon Valley who spoke it, who could translate, who could help do the customer support. Um, so I was really lucky to have that unusual skill uh, and be very valuable to Google. And so I went in and uh, got that job. And then a ton of fun from there on out. What did you do before Google? Were, were you in the e-commerce or Amazon space or the, what, what space were you in before then? Uh, st- st- well, I did two, a two year stint at Sapient. It was IT consulting. And before that I was in college. Um, okay. so I did my undergrad at Stanford. And while I was at Stanford, I would go to these uh, local blockbusters and they were selling video cassettes. 
uh, for people watching this call who don't know what video cassettes or blockbuster VHS, are, VHS, yeah, exactly. Look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, I mean, so the way that the movie industry worked was they, they would release these video cassettes to Blockbuster and they would sell them for about a hundred bucks a piece. And the whole idea was, well, they, they can afford it because they're going to rent it out a bunch of times. And then a couple months down the line, they could actually sell these um, for a much cheaper price. So all these used cassettes, they'd have hundreds of them for popular movies. They'd liquidate them, right? But some of these blockbusters weren't following the schedule and they would liquidate them way before they were supposed to. And so I caught on to this and I started picking up some of these cassettes uh, that were valued at a hundred plus dollars for right. like 10 bucks. And I flip them on eBay but to drive more traffic to my uh, my listings, I discovered PPC on goto.com. So I was buying these keywords and sending traffic to my eBay listings. And, you know, I wasn't making a fortune, but enough money for, you know, going yeah. out of college. I was going to say, for a young kid, you're probably making more than your, your neighbor, your roommate or anything at that time. Exactly. And I got exposed to PPC and it was always a bit limited. And then uh, and then I joined Google a couple of years later. So after Sapient, so I was at Sapient, the dot-com bubble was uh bursting back then mm. so I, I was basically in the last class of people that was um admitted to sapient after that they started rescinding their offers so i wrote that for about a year and a half the dot-com bubble kept imploding and imploding so eventually i got laid off um and then i went to google and then at google it was interesting because i was doing this whole dutch adwords thing but i was also in these meetings with some of the customer support team for the really large advertisers and really large back then was like, you were spending a million dollars a month, um, which nowadays it's like peanuts. On yeah, I was going to say you're mid tier at that point. <laughs> exactly. You're lucky if you have a rep who picks up the phone for you. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I start hearing, Oh, it's like all these mega affiliates and it's like a, this and that kind of business. And I'm like, huh, I can probably do to do some of that myself. So I signed up for commission junction and I became an affiliate for eBay and 21st century car insurance and a bunch of others. And I start placing these ads and all of a sudden I'm making more money on my sideline being an affiliate uh, versus working at Google. And then I actually had a dedicated account rep at Google who was sitting two desks away from me because I was spending so much money with them. Um, so that was kind of a fun story. I was going to say for them calling a phone number or anything like that and yours ring, they're probably they're probably curious, like, who am I talking to? This, this seems awfully familiar with the person who sits two, two desks away from me, but it was you. Uh, that's interesting. So I, I come from affiliate marketing world, and um, a lot of the tips and tricks that a lot of people say is obviously helping boost, and again, depends on the brand or the company, of uh, boosting sales through PPC and ad spend. That's how a lot of people find it or get driven traffic to blogs or websites or uh, promo codes and things like that. So you were doing this back when you were selling, you know, uh, VHSs and cassette tapes. And like you said, moving on with that regards, did that just open your mind even more of, hey, there's going to be this world of digital advertising, like a like a billboard or like a, like an ad in a paper or something tangible that you're going to be able to see this whole world explode into what it is now did you have any sort of insight or thoughts or even perceptions of maybe this is where the world continues to grow into or this was a like you said blip on the radar and maybe we'll see what yeah, happens I, mean, I think so when i lost my job at sapient it was definitely a decision point and i had to figure out you know where do i go and and google it wasn't that big of a company at the time it, it kind of was getting some buzz um but i i did think it was going to be big and so I went there and, and so the whole advertising at the moment of relevance, that just clicked for me. And that makes so much sense. 
right? Because the whole internet was fundamentally broken before Google came in because everything was subsidized by like punch the monkey ads or ads for credit cards that you didn't really need. And then all of a sudden Google comes in and they're like, hey, advertising is information. We can actually answer people's questions and have it be a commercial answer. And somebody pays us for that. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, the internet works again. Like everything's cleaned up. You actually, uh, and some people then complain nowadays. They say, well, we go to Google ads and we, we, sorry, we go to Google search. I called it Google ads, but you go to Google search and it's basically all ads. But at some level that's okay because these ads are actually relevant. They have a high quality score and they give you an answer to the question that you had. Um, and, and that was really the shift. And that's what I, myself and a bunch of other people, I guess, were like, yeah, that's that's going to be huge. And, and it's very fascinating too right now because Facebook um, is really being crushed by all these privacy initiatives from Apple, mm -hmm. by the third-party cookie being deprecated. Um, and see, Facebook is, is about interruptive advertising, putting stuff into your feed, into your stream. It's like it's trying to get you to think about something you weren't thinking about. But Google doesn't have that problem. I mean, right? If I'm still going to need a new pair of sneakers, I have a lot of sneakers, as you can see right there. That's just uh, yeah, that's <laughs> some new Captain America stuff, right? And then if I go search for it, well, that's when I want to see these ads, and that's not being impacted at all by these uh, these privacy initiatives. Well, I was well with a lot of people in our industry are talking about is for brands and trying to drive the traffic awareness. It used to be again ads and Google or, uh, ex excuse me, Facebook slash meta and Instagram. A lot of people drive traffic through there, whether it be influences or paid ads, a apart from skyrocketing, um, prices, a lot of it is targeted to basically the, the customer avatar information that you provide it. Google is based on a, a different functionality, albeit the search functionality and history is built up your customer profile and avatar. Right. But you still have this notion of what's going to be relevant in front of me. A search engine is asking questions or looking for information and you're going to disseminate information from, I say your Google will disseminate information that's relevant to that question, that search, that, that those keys, those keywords, I should say to the person, like you said, it's not disruptive. It's, it's relevant information. Is that why in your, I'm assuming in your mind, Google will outlast or outpace Facebook time and time again in that regards, or is there, is it different comparing apples to oranges? No, I mean, I think that's exactly it. It's, it's Facebook is using these personas and avatars to kind of guess at what you might be interested in. Um, and that, that works to a large degree. Like, so I'm on Instagram um, and I'll see ads for like workout clothes. I buy a lot of workout clothes. Okay. So they clearly know what's going to get me. Um, but that's still so fundamentally different from on Google, where Google knows exactly what I asked for right now. And then it can put the persona sort of on top of that. And so now if somebody says, go to go to Google um, and you look for sneakers, well, Google might know what kind of brands you prefer. They might know from your avatar, uh, are you a man? Are you a woman? Like what gender sneakers do you tend to buy? And so now that, specific request from you gets enriched with all this additional data, which makes those results even better, right? So if I'm going to look for shoes, I'm going to see buy large shoes that are going to be my size, the brands that I prefer, men's styles. Um, and that, that's great because Google is not wasting any of this really valuable real estate 
on things that are not going to matter to me. And if they can show me a page that has five ads that are hyper relevant to me, well, guess what? I'm going to, I'm going to click on five ads and that's five times more money than if they'd only showed me one good ad. And I think that's what's so important about Google. Um, I also had a chance to jo join Facebook relatively early-ish. Um, I just, Facebook has never mattered as much to me. I, th I think if Facebook went away tomorrow, uh, people might call me crazy, but if Facebook went away tomorrow, like my life would not change. If Google went away tomorrow, like I would not know how to operate. I could not get to places, maps would be gone. I would not know how to do emails. I would not find stuff. Um, my productivity, Google Docs, Google Spreadsheets, like I just literally would not be able to operate for a while until I figured out how to replace all of these things that they've made so instrumental to my life. Was it, with that, that, that's a good point and key functionality of Facebook has inserted themselves into not a, I would say, like you said, it's uh, relevant in terms of buyer intent. That's why the ads are so important versus Facebook. Like you said, it's disruptive of, hey, I know you're not looking for this possibly right now, but this might be something that might be relevant to you in the future. Uh, a page or a like or a person, maybe a product ad. With Google, like you said, it's ingrained itself in so many different other aspects of our life of, like you said, Gmail, uh, work, uh, just Google Workplace itself. Is that why Facebook falls kind of on that spectrum of maybe if I removed it today from my life, it doesn't have its tentacles in so many different aspects of my life. Yes, there's no more influencers. Yes, there's no more uh, like social media of sharing pictures and, and things like that. But is that really integral to the inner workings of a business or a professional or things like that? I would say the answer is probably no, correct? Or besides WhatsApp, maybe? Yeah, um, exactly. In WhatsApp and Asian markets, you know, there's a lot more commerce that happens through it. And and I think, and I don't want to speak here for the younger generation, sure. um, because I know, like, when I tell people that I actually use email, they're like, wait, really? <laughs> like everyone's on Slack. Like, my whole team is on Slack, and I, just, I still can't figure out how to operate in a business sense on Slack. Sure. Um, but all the younger people somehow are able to do it, no problem. It's like uh, texting. <laughs> Everyone wants to text instead of call now, and I prefer to call and talk to people. That's why I'm a podcast host, yeah. Frederick. That's mm -hmm. why I like to understand from people. I can get the perception through a phone call or through a, a conversation with somebody other than uh, that's nice or just uh, emojis or things like that. That that to me is not communication. That is lazy communication, and that's completely different. So yeah. anyways, <laughs> that's no. me. And that makes sense. I'm, I'm kind of like you in that. So, um, but, but that's where I don't want to make a blanket statement and say that Facebook doesn't play an integral part because with these influencers and the way that people communicate, um, it, it is a huge communication channel and not Facebook by itself, right? But Instagram and WhatsApp and everything that's around that and Messenger. Um, so it's, it's hugely important, but I think the world would just find, I mean, people would go to TikTok, right? And kind of get the same thing. Um Whereas when it comes to Google, which has its tentacles in so many places, it's, it's a little bit harder to replace. Um, now, and, and that also then leads into the whole thing about third-party cookies and first-party data. And so anyone who's not building first-party data nowadays for their advertising, I mean, that's probably, let's call that mistake number one, right? Uh, you need to care about your first-party data and collect people's email addresses and build a direct relationship with your customers and people who come to your website. Because 
over the past decade or so, and even longer than a decade, but third-party cookies have been really nefarious in a way, but they've also made it really easy for us to know things that people do, even when I, it's not my business data, but I can, I can go to a third party and say, hey, tell me about this user who came to my site. Like, what else do they do? What should I you know, try to sell to these people? Um, and it's been a very lazy approach, and that lazy approach is no longer going to fly because people, consumers, are now picking up on the fact that you know, anything I do, I'm being tracked. Um, I mean, there's DuckDuckGo as a search engine, which is basically built on the premise that if I'm going to search for a pair of headphones, I don't want to see remarketing ads all the time about those headphones. Um, right? And, and actually, they misposition this whole thing. So they say Google is the evil company for showing you remarketing ads. Um, well, no, it's actually the, the company whose headphones, they're the ones dropping the cookie and then giving that cookie back to Google to market through it. It's not the fact that you did a search on Google. It's the fact that you clicked on the ad and came to the advertiser. That's where the whole thing happens. Um, but so I think as consumers sort of wake up to how the internet works and how the internet is monetized. Uh, and by the way, like, why do you think we get free news on the internet? Why do you think we get free Google Docs? I was going to um, say free email, space, all that fun stuff. It, I mean, all the free tools that we as a society maybe take for granted has to be paid for somehow, exactly. obviously. So, I mean, with advertising, that that's always how, that's always how businesses inevitably operated. If you watch like the social network of um, how Facebook came to, mm -hmm. um, came to light, how did they have to have adoption early on? They fought initially with when should you implement advertising and um, everything of that sort. And we're going back to ads on Facebook which we'll pivot away from, but you want, you want the free mentality so that people need you in their life. Again, the, the tools come later of, Hey, sell hardware, sell software, or have it for free, but have it paid for by somebody else. Again, ultimately it's probably companies and advertising. You have to do it smartly and intelligently. Otherwise it'll be disruptive to your user base and customer flow as well. So, um, but for, uh, Frederick, I, have, I may have so many questions, which I should, um, as a podcast host. You said uh, the top mistakes you should avoid making PPC. I was, number one being that uh, you're not building out your customer list with the avatars and retargeting, correct? Is that is that in light the number one that you would always tell people? Make sure you're creating lists. If you're a brand or D2C website, create lists and know who your customer is and uh, have their information for you. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah exactly. And then... And then use ad systems, whether they be Google's or Facebook's or Amazon's, to layer that information on top of something else. Um, B2B is another great category where, you know, if you're selling printers as a company, but you want to target businesses buying a thousand printers instead of a consumer buying a single printer, that's really difficult to do in search because regardless, these two personas are going to come to Google and type in the same thing printers, buy printers. Um, how do you know which is which, right? For a long time now, we've relied on third-party data and Google being able to tell us, is this a business? Or Facebook telling us, is this like someone with a LinkedIn profile from a big company? And actually it's Microsoft that has the LinkedIn relationship, right? But but we, we have to assume that those third-party sources of data are going to go away and we need to build our own lists of knowing who is that customer? Who is that person? Who Who's the company behind that person? So start thinking about that a little bit. Start building those lists because soon they will um, not be available to you anymore through a third party. 
Right. Amazon's already making that biggest shift of no longer you have customer addresses or names or anything like that. You can't create that lookalike audience. You have mm-hmm. to kind of guess and just assume that your audience is going to come back. You it, It's really hard to, to create that targeting aspect on that. Um, what would be the second thing that you, you suggest brand owners or entrepreneurs that they, in order to optimize and what they should avoid? What's that second thing? Yeah, so when it comes to PPC and Google Ads specifically, there's a lot of automation being built. And that's really different from Facebook. It's different from Facebook. Um, it's dissimilar from Amazon. And, and kind of the reason is that Google grew up in an age when we had to select our keywords. We had to write an ad. We had to choose a bid for every single keyword. All of this was highly manual. But now machine learning has come a long way. Google has a lot more data. So they're starting to automate a lot of these things for us. Um, And then the biggest mistake I see people make is they think, oh, automation means set it and forget it, right? So they they go in and they say, I have a a target return on ad spend, which is the same as a target ACoS on Amazon. It's actually the numbers are inverted, but it's the same concept, Um, right? But you say you go in and say, I have a 500% target return on ad spend, and then you walk away from that campaign, and then you're pissed off when things don't go well. Um, I wrote a whole book on that topic. It's called Unlevel the Playing Field. Um, I have it right here. It's on Amazon. But basically, the whole point of this is, yes, there's automation that will help you, but you still have to manage that automation. Um, right. So that, that's kind of mistake number two that I see people make. Gotcha. And I was going to say, we I was trying to do the link, but Amazon's link came up a little funky in the URL. But hey, Unlevel the Playing Field, um, I typed it in our show notes, and we'll have it linked down our uh, listen notes as well for people if you're watching this go ahead and check that out it's already in my it's already in my uh, cart on, on amazon so is that is that something that just came out uh frederick because you said this is your second book do you is this something that you've always wanted to do is be an author in that regards yeah so that's my second book came out january 26th um, okay. so relatively recent <sighs> did i want to be an author listen um I guess what what made you become an author? I should say. Yeah, better question. <laughs> um, no, very very good questions, by the way. You're a great podcaster. So. I appreciate that. No, we but, have it on audio now, so we can always use it for our future promos. Yeah, do you want me to say it again? But, but no, like very good. <laughs> we'll do that at the end. Um, no, so so when uh, in Google I started, I became the evangelist. I really took on a teaching role, going to conferences and explaining stuff to people. Um, and then I really enjoyed blogging for search engine land. And I did this three-part series. It was all the way back in 2017, I think, where I, I just sort of thought about what does the future of professional digital marketers look like in an age where more and more of their work is being taken over by the machines, by the automations from Google. And the fundamental question was simply like, should you get out of the space now or will you have a job to do? Um, and so we created it to three roles, the PPC doctor, the PPC pilot, and the PPC teacher. And these are roles that we're all familiar with, right? So a doctor evaluates and prescribes something to make you better. The, the pilot sits in the plane, makes sure that all the systems are working and talking to each other, and the plane goes in the right direction. And the teacher teaches, uh, and it's called machine learning. Machine learning is really what Google runs on these days. Uh, but learning implies that someone has to teach it, right? So you as the human still have a role to play within that. So I wrote these three pieces. Um, they became the most read. Two of them, no, all three of them were in the top 10 for that year. And I was like, hey, maybe this is a topic for a book. Like, let me expand on this a bit. And that became book number one. And then um, 
I was really nervous about reviews. And I was like, and once you start writing a book where you give a speech a lot, it's like, are people going to be bored? Because you yourself have heard it so many times in your head, right? And it's like, is this old, old stuff? Uh, but people really liked it. I was like, hey, let me do a second one and actually go even a little bit deeper on the first book. And that's what that second book was about. So um, I think I'm going to do a third one too. There you go. Well, I, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, this is me talking, how, how does one become an evangelist as, at a company like Google? And again, you said this was early on. Is this like a, you're sitting in a boardroom in every, or in, a, in an office and people are like, all right, we need somebody who's going to go to the conference and talk about our new solution, Google Ads. Everyone looks around and someone raises their hand and that person's you. How does that work out? Because that's an incredible story to become a person who has to speak on behalf of a major company again, major as us look back on hindsight, that you were the first person that said, I'm going to lead the way, um, not not the founders, not anything like that. Is it just because you were so ingrained and had the inner workings of everything? What What's that process like to become an evangelist of something yeah, so important? It was certainly the inner workings. So my dual role of being an advertiser and really knowing how the system worked and then also working on the team that was supporting this uh, Google, Google AdWords, um, so, so I was getting all the education from the engineers, the product managers about like, Hey, here's what we're launching. And then I would see how advertisers were using it, what kind of complaints they had. And I would go and fix some of these issues myself. Um, and this is, so it's sort of bridging, like what's the theory and the reality of these two systems. Um, okay. And so then the executives from Google, so mostly Cheryl Sandberg, uh, my boss at the time, so she was being asked to go and speak at events um, and her management team was being asked to go and speak at events. And they'd be like, great, we, we can take a slide deck that marketing has put together or that they would have put together and they can present it. But what they were nervous about was the questions, right? So what is the audience going to ask? And now it gets into the weeds and now it gets into the tactics. And that's where they didn't really have the answers. And they knew that I did. So they, they asked me, um at one point hey can you just go and give this speech because we know you can do the q a and i was like um i'm not a naturally i'm not an extrovert i actually don't talk a lot in normal life <laughs> i was being asked to to do all of these things and but i got a kick out of it and i was like i want to do more of this and so it wasn't even all of us sitting in the room it was me having the experience being asked by one person and so i did a few of these and i was like hey i'm gonna I'm going to make a business card and I'm going to say AdWords evangelist. So I was literally the first and only AdWords evangelist for, you know, five plus years. Oh my gosh. The only other evangelist we had at the company was Avinash Kaushik, uh, the Google analytics, the urchin evangelist. Um, and by the way, he wasn't working for Google at the time. So I, <laughs> people who bought urchin. Um, so urchin then became Google analytics, but I, we flew down to San Diego went and met the team, acquired them. Um, and then I was in charge of integrating the uh, the operations teams. So, uh, and then Avinash, we've been talking a lot about analytics as a space, then he came to Google. But, uh, but then, yeah, we had two evangelists. And so it was a completely made up role. Um, and then it was funny because as a smaller company, like the marketing team would come to me and say, hey, we've got this event. We need someone to go and speak about AdWords. Can you do it? And like, sweet, I get to travel for free. Um, Right. Not, not a bad, yeah, not nothing bad there. Well, that that's that's a funny similar story to how this podcast come to be. Of, hey, we need somebody. We're, we're trying to figure out. It was our training team that was asking, do we do we know anyone who can help our sellers 
understand not getting in trouble with copyright infringement with images on Google or on uh, Amazon. I go, yeah, I got somebody like I, I have a good pe- uh, group of people that I have. I'm aware of. Let me go and ask them and see like if we can record a, a nice little soundbite or, or video. And my first talk was terrible. I was late. I looked sweaty. I didn't have any questions prepared. It was just a conversational format, but I'm sure like you, what's the best thing that you probably learned as a, a person? Maybe this is for the entrepreneurs out there who want to speak at events or conferences or have a perspective that's different than everyone else's and they're asked to speak or present at those events or shows or to a business or organization. Do you have any tips or advice for people that that might be doing that for the first time or they're afraid that they have imposter syndrome or anything of that sort? What would you suggest to them or say to them? Yeah, I actually gave a whole presentation on this topic for uh, the people who do the HeroConf conference. So that's Hennepin out of Indianapolis. I'm sure you know him. I live in Indianapolis. So there you go. There you exactly. go. So, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, imposter syndrome. Uh, first of all, we're all figuring this out. Like uh, when I got on this call this morning and it's live, it's like, I hope to God Google out <laughs> something crazy this morning that I haven't read yet that Ryan knows about because he's just. Okay, but Ryan's a nice guy, so he's not throwing me under the bus. <laughs> um, no, but imposter syndrome. Yeah, I, I think fundamentally, if you've done the work, if you've done the PPC, if you've done the marketing, if you've sold stuff successfully on Amazon, yes, you may not have done it the absolute best, perfect, right way, but clearly you've made it work somehow. And there's something to that that's worth sharing with other people, right? Even if that's going to be a different perspective from others. So that's the first thing, imposter syndrome. Don't worry about it too much. Um, and that was the same thing with me and writing my book, right? But we just got to get it out there and then get the feedback. But make sure you've actually done the work. And then second level, make your own presentations, like write your own stuff. It's so easy nowadays to get lazy and get someone else to do the writing for you. Um, and actually, I did have a ghostwriter on my book, so I'll be completely transparent on that one. Right, but the blog posts that be that were the foundation for this book, like that's a hundred percent my work, my thinking, my putting it on paper and iterating on it. Right. Um, and that's so critical to be able to then defend what it is you wrote, to be able to answer the questions, um, and to be able to give a good presentation. Because if it's your story and you've put it in slides, like that story will just flow. Uh, two months ago, I went to Brussels, I did a, a keynote there, and the projector freezes, like literally just does not work anymore. Nobody knows how to fix it. And I'm like, fine, I'll talk for 30 minutes because I know the story. I know what I came here to share with you. And it's fine, right? And and maybe people were a little confused because some of the slides were a bit technical, right? And so just me explaining a technical concept gets a little hairy. But like, I didn't break a sweat. It's just like, it's my story. I'm here to tell it. Here we go. Excellent. Well, I mean... I think those are all great pieces of advice. And especially when you're trying to educate and tell people it's impossible to correlate what's in your head versus someone else's word, because you have a different perspective and you've, you've managed and done things differently, which is really hard to do. I know I personally feel a lot better when I present my own work, all it be, i put a lot more time and effort into it. Cause I know it's me at the end of the day, putting it on instead of uh, somebody from my company or another person who's like, hey, you can put words to and sentences together. Why don't you just read this and present it and it will be fine. I don't like that mentality because, again, it's from a different perspective. It, de- it flows differently than you as an individual and maybe as a company, too, of you don't want to replicate or I'm trying to correlate this back to back to our, our topic 
per se is you can't just copy and paste your own work and your own ideas and strategies just because someone else said it, it works, right? You have to tweak it and fine tune it to what you yeah, say exactly. is out there. So and we were talking about this pre-show of, I have this conversation pop up and ask this question. Can you, can you implement these strategies across all platforms in the answer would that to that would be what? Like I would say strategies of PPC, that would be no, correct? No. Uh, I mean, and so it's interesting because as PPC, as digital marketers, I think a lot of us have become Excel gurus and data analysts in some way. And so those strategies of, okay, how do you identify money wasting keywords? Yeah, that's by and large the same as what you do on Amazon and what you would do on Google. But if you think about you as a marketer, well, who's the persona that is on Amazon? Like what's their intent on Amazon and how's that different from their intent when they're on Google versus Facebook? Okay, now we have to think about different strategies, different answers. And so in the tools that we build at Optimizer, we were very um, adamant that we didn't want to build a tool where you say, okay, I have one keyword, just put it in all the different PPC engines. No, we want you to make like rational decisions about, well, this audience is a little bit different here. So these are the keywords they need. These are the keywords they need on Amazon. These are the ones they need on Microsoft, et cetera. Um, and ultimately that's probably going to build you more success than just taking a cookie cutter approach. That makes sense. And obviously, like you said, the intent is different from an Amazon perspective to a Google perspective. There's there's so many different, I, I jokingly say, and it makes a lot of sense when you're searching for something on Google, for example, you're saying best like coffee maker or best uh, work from home setup, something like that, where on, on Amazon, you already know it's a buyer intent ecosystem. So you're going to say work from home setup or co uh, coffee maker or buy or put the brand in front of it. So more of the intent is different, but the search functionality still a search bar still can probably pull up the same similar you know, results, if you will, if, if, if you're doing one-to-one, -one, but the, the persona of the marketplace of what you're searching on or the engine or that search bar is so different and vast of what you want to receive as the results. Does that make sense? So that's why I think it's your PPC. You're probably on Amazon, just going to try to rank for coffee maker on Google. And this is very simplistic. Um, on Google, you're going to say, Hey, top coffee makers, and you're going to try to target those keywords so on and so forth so um is there is there another tip that you should that we haven't covered that you would say avoid this at all cost frederick um people that you see time and time again that you're they're going into the same hole or those same issues and you're like listen our strategy is this instead yeah i mean uh, i'll share another huge money waster that we see many many times is whether it's on Google or somewhere else, there is a display network and there are mobile apps. And so now we're not talking necessarily about the search experience, but we're talking about kind of putting your brand, your product in front of people who are doing something else but might have an interest in it. Um, there's a tremendous amount of money being wasted on some placements that just have high volume but no intent. And so that's really easy to measure because you can see how much money you've spent on that placement and you can see how many conversions came in from that placement. Um, and so we routinely look at accounts where it's like $8,000, $20,000 per month on a single placement that has led to zero sales. That money could be so much better allocated somewhere else. Or if that's like, okay, a place where you spend $20,000 on ads, 
that's probably a high volume place, right? But wouldn't you be better off buying a branding ad and, and having an actual strategy as opposed to that just randomly showing up as one of the placements that your ads go on, um, right? And so that's probably one of the bigger mistakes that I think almost anyone can run a placement report and find some amazing exclusions to do and save a lot of money. Absolutely. I see ads uh, popping up all the time within within blogs. And it, I mean, how the Google Display Network works is anywhere there's blank space, I know they're trying to optimize for that. But I can't imagine that some of those click-throughs or some of those um, performance metrics that we were talking about earlier can be very good. Um, obviously, you're probably, you're probably going for a visual context and, and just a reminder context instead of a click-through performance and a conversion performance. But I can't imagine some of those some of those campaigns being very good, like you were mentioning. So, so tell me about this optimizer. You moved you moved from Google to optimizer. We didn't even make that jump. What what was the why behind that? Because I'm, I'm curious for you. Did was it just a different similar context, but this is an agency more like than obviously the product itself of which you were probably working with and and working on. What made, what was that biggest jump from? corporation like that too now this is your own business that you want to build from the ground up yeah exactly so optimizer so we're a ppc management software we manage over six billion dollars a year in ad spend that's um, billion with a b or a million with a b holy cow all right six so we, billion all right we, we see a lot of ad spend we manage a lot of ad spend but we, do, we don't manage it right we're not an agency sure we help agencies we help big advertising teams manage these billions of dollars more effectively and avoid some of the mistakes that I talked about and then do some of the things they know they should be doing more efficiently in less time. So it leaves more time to be strategic as opposed to pushing buttons. Um, so we have great automation capabilities that you can layer on top of the, the ad engines, whether it's Amazon, Google, Microsoft. Um, but, but how did that jump happen? Also, uh, Google joined when it was less than 500. Then actually at the time that I left, it was already 6,000. So I Numbers must be much higher now. But uh, but yeah, I just got too big and too corporate, one too many restructures. Um, and Nikesh Aurora, he was basically like, listen, we want to have any evangelists. We need you to like go and sell, sell, sell. And he wasn't making the connection that people being positive brand representatives were actually building goodwill that made the job of the sales teams and the support teams easier and that that had value. But that, that value is hard to quantify. And he wanted to get rid of that. And I was like, listen, I've been here long enough. I've built up enough of a, a, a nest egg that I can just take a little break and go and do something else. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew I didn't want to do it for Google anymore at that time. Um, so I left and then I did do an agency for about a year. And in running that agency, I was like, holy shit. Like, I thought I did a really good job building tools when I was inside of Google to make people's lives easier. But there's so many things that are still so much more difficult than they really should be. And especially things that professional marketers do, right? So for the, for the newbie, new advertiser, it's fine. Use Google systems. But if you have this methodology that's like a best practice that's going to set you apart from the competition, like that stuff tends to be really hard to do. And we started building that. I started building it as scripts. Um, and then people started using these. And I was like, how do I make money from this? And uh, so we built a, a software company. There you go. Well, so what's what's kind of the next steps for you? Because Optimizer's been around for a few years now. Is that correct? Yeah, nine years now. Nine years now. So so now you're almost at the same length that you were at Google. What what's like your envision 
now that you're saying, hey, we kind of see what this looks like, you're managing billions of dollars worth of ad spend. Well, what's what's kind of the goal for you? Maybe it's changed over the past couple of years, but what, what's that end world for you that you think of? Hey, I feel like we've 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 made we've we've achieved what I wanted to achieve, or us as a team have wanted to achieve. What is that for you? I, I think unfortunately in the PPC space, there's uh, the end goal is never <laughs> achievable. Right. Google and the engines just keep changing everything. Prices keep going up, yeah, and things keep optimizing and changing. Exactly, and that's the thing, right? Prices keep going up, so for you to still be cost effective, you have to do different things. And then Google introduces performance max campaigns, which is a new, like, fully automated campaign type. This changed up the ad format. So instead of you writing a fully qualified ad, now you put in components and they put it together based on machine learning. So like there's never a dull day. And me and my team were constantly figuring out, wow, well, okay, given this new world, what is the way that you unlevel the playing field back in your favor? And what does that mean from a tool perspective and an efficiency perspective? Um, and, and see, listen, we, we've never really taken money from the engines to do the work that we do. So we've also never taken investment. So it's me and my two co-founders who really set the mission for the company. Um, and that mission is to make advertisers' lives easier and make sure that you make more money so that your boss is happy and you get to have your job, uh, but you also get to see your children and family on the weekend because you don't have to push buttons seven days a week. Uh, and that's kind of the goal, right? I can keep that going, but at the same time, grow the business and provide a great place for the employees to work, give them some fun challenges to do along the way, uh, be able to take them on these trips like we're going to Goa and Valparaiso. And, and right before the COVID lockdowns, we all went to uh, the, the French Alps and we had a big offsite there. Wow. Right? And this, this is kind of the fun stuff of having a fun company that does meaningful work. Um, so we just want to continue doing that. Yeah, the mission and the meaning, it sounds like it's very important for you to to actually help out and, and bring forth the value instead of the the dollar sense that obviously that's important too, but it seems like what's leading the way is that mission statement, that that ultimate value of what you can do as an as a person and as a, a thought leader, as a company, that's what's leading the way, which sounds pretty favorable for the company and everyone in your in your corner, I should say. So uh, Frederick, uh, I guess when people are listening to this and they're watching this on replay, what what do you what do you want people to? How do you want them to reach out to you? Do you want them to go to your website? What what what's that best way to do that? We've linked out to your book, which obviously I will be ordering here very soon, um, right after this call. But uh, how do how do they get in touch with you, or how do they connect with Optimizer? Yeah, so Optimizer is uh, o p t m y z r dot com. So I uh, left out a lot of vowels. But usually if you search it on Google, you'll find the right one. Um, so check us out on there. I'd love for everyone to go and check out the free trial. So if you're doing PPC and you want to see how much money you can save, um, we even have a, a free plan. It's called Optimizer Lite for advertisers doing less than 10K a month in ad spend. Uh, and then if you want to reach out to me, you can reach out through the support forums and tell them to get a hold of me um, or find me directly at Silicon Valleys on Twitter. Um, you can connect with me, DM me, do whatever, but that's usually where I hang out. Um, and I'm hoping to get back to a lot more in-person conferences. Actually, you're going to be in Las Vegas next week. I'm going to be in Paris, the real Paris, not the Las Vegas Paris. <laughs> um, you're be in Paris, France, not Paris right. on the Strip. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, hey, that sounds that sounds like an enjoyable experience for me. I love Paris. So, what do what will you be doing there? 
Uh, so there's a conference, SMX. Uh, I was actually supposed to do a conference in London on the first day, Paris the second, and Munich the third. Munich has gone virtual. London has been postponed. So, but I still get to Paris. It. it is all right. <laughs> exactly. Well, this is my yeah. This is my first event, and I, I jokingly tell this with people. Feels like uh, the first event that I will personally have attended in in years. The last one I think I was at. Oh my gosh, it was in San Francisco. Um, it was a Rakuten conference because I was working on the DGC side. Mm-hmm. Happened to um, work with Rakuten. You were talking about affiliate marketing and commission junction earlier. I know all about the platforms and how crazy that space is in the affiliate side. So um, got to learn from the great people over at Rakuten, which I'll have a webinar on later this week. So get okay. gets it full circle. It feels like full circle all the time with people. They're, they're always come back in more content, but that's really exciting. Congratulations on that and, and, and safe travels. So we'll make sure that people, if they reach out to you, obviously through the website or follow you on social media, they do that as well. So, but Hey, thank you so much. I always jokingly, jokingly say people who make it through an episode with me are now friends of the podcast. Um, they can hang with me for an hour or so. You've clearly done that. Um, super fascinating as a as a person, as an entrepreneur, but as a human too. So thank you so much for just spending some time with me in my corner of the internet today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Roderick. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, everyone, for watching. No problem. And thank you, everyone, for coming across over commerce today. I have to press the right buttons here on a Monday. I keep muting myself. Uh, thank you for everyone who's tuning in live today on Crossover Commerce. Again, this is episode 227. That means 227 episodes have passed where I bring on the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. Big thank you to Frederick um, and his team over at Optimizer for letting him come on here and spend some time here to talk to you, the audience. Um, hopefully, you got a lot of great takeaways from that. All the content that we talked about today will be in the show notes below, um, linked out onto the appropriate profiles. Also, um, check out his book, Unlevel the Playing Field. Um, again, it went live. It says January 14th, so it looks like it literally a few weeks ago just came out. Um, something that you can just download or you can buy the paper or hardcover versions, or if you're a Kindle person, you can do that as well. So go ahead and check that out, uh, Unlevel the Playing Field the biggest mind shift in PPC history book two Frederick promises book three. So I will be following him on Amazon as well for that third book to come out as well. That being said, this is episode 227. Again, we'll catch you guys next time when we go live and that'll be at prosper show here in less than a week on crossover commerce. We hope to guys hope to see you guys there and tune in uh, there next week. We hope to get you guys soon and uh, catch you next time. Take care.